From ThatShelf.com, this is Black Hole Films. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. What's a black hole film, you ask? Well, you know those films you always meant to get around to watching, but you never did for whatever reason? Well, that's what they are. And this podcast is all about embracing them and checking those films off our lists and talking about them and whatever else happens to come up. I'm Canadian filmmaker Jeremy Lalonde, and I will be your host. You can follow me on Twitter at LalondeJeremy, or check out my website, JeremyLalonde.com, for more information on me and my projects. If you like the show, please subscribe to it, rate, review it, and leave a comment on whatever platform it is you're listening. It really does make a difference in helping to get more ears tuning in. And if you like this show, check out the others on the ThatShelf.com family of podcasts. And without further delay, let's get into this week's film. This is episode 205, and today I am joined by Justin McConnell, whose recent film Clapboard Jungle is now available on VOD, as well as Ken Coopers, the showrunner behind Hudson and Rex, and last but not least, Ian McIntyre from The Beaverton. And we're going to sit down and watch a film together. So we are sitting down via isolation to watch Risky Business. I'm Jeremy. I have not seen this film. And we'll go around the room. Um, so we've got Ken. Yeah, I'm Ken uh, Cooperis, and uh, I have seen this film a few times. We also have Ian McIntyre. Hey, I'm Ian. I have never once seen this film. And last but not least, Justin McConnell. Hello, I'm Justin, and I uh, also haven't seen the film, but I'm aware of it through the pop cultural touchstones of him sliding out and doing the dance and stuff. Literally the two things I know. I know that, like, visual reference, and I know, like, the general, like, log line of the movie. But it's weird, because I'm actually, I like Tom Cruise as a performer a lot, and I've seen almost all his stuff, but I have no idea why I haven't watched this one. I think my two giant black holes of his are this and Legend. Oh, Legend's kind of weird it's it's fun it's definitely fun <laughs> we'll get into that later i guess <laughs> no we can't because i haven't seen it you can't oh, okay yeah that, that. well i uh i i was very aware of this uh from a pretty young age because uh in the 80s i was a big curtis armstrong fan and uh this is um his first uh his first major um performance mm. um it was this movie that got him hired on to revenge of the nerds Oh wow! Oh, nice. spoiler! Bo- Boogers in this movie? Amazing! <laughs> Isn't it like Congressman Booger or something like that? <laughs> is he actually is he in politics now? I, I'm probably remembering that wrong. He was also he he was on New Girl. He played like the principal on New Girl, so I don't no, think he's. he's then it's probably not him. He was like a villain in Supernatural or something, like one of the. Yeah, one of the he's not. He is not. Uh, he's not a politician in any way. I don't want to discount Curtis Armstrong, but I have a strong suspicion that Ken is right. <laughs> Although he does wear a, he does his character does wear a top hat in Better Off Dead, so maybe that's the closest you get to being a politician. That's not too yeah. shabby. Hmm. So this is one of those ones. I think what year is this? Ken is it eighty two? Eighty three. Eighty three. Yeah. So I guess I think I would have been too when this was like in the video stores. I would have been a bit too young to be able to rent. I don't know why this one slipped past me because it's right at my wheelhouse. It's a weird one that I don't know why I never saw. It's um, it, it it's an interesting movie. I won't say too much because all three of you haven't seen it, but um, it is um, 
it, it, it's very interesting. You're going to see in Tom Cruise's little group of friends, you're going to see a couple of uh, familiar faces. Don't say that. I literally don't know. Anyway, you, are, you already <laughs> ruined Booger for me, so just stop it, Ken. <laughs> I won't, I won't, uh, I won't ruin uh, the other one or two you'll find along the way. Okay. Um, but uh, I will say it's an interesting movie, and it's one, again, this is a um, um, it, it's a movie that um, that was had amazing reviews. This is a movie like you know, this was renowned one of the top films of that year, and uh, probably and does not we'll age talk, well. We'll in '83, and we'll talk uh, afterwards um, about um, how it holds up today as far as um, um, the culture we now live in. Yeah. I, I'm assuming, given the the premise, it's going to be uh, very shady. I'm not even aware of the premise. Oh, great! Then I'm yeah, going to yeah. stop. So yeah. <laughs> I don't want to get too far. But then, Ian. So, Ian, what like what's your background with the having not seen this movie and known about it or, or whatnot? Tom Cruise dances in his underpants to old time rock and roll, and that is the utter extent of what I know about this. Do you know the setup for the story at all? Uh, no. Awesome. Okay, great. That's the only thing I kind of know. Uh, and I think I only found that out recently. No, I think that's when, because when Ken pitched this as one of the 80s comedies we wanted to dive into, he mentioned what it was about. And I was like, why the fuck have I not seen that? That seems <laughs> like it's it's tailor-made for me. So, I mean, let's just dive into it because we're all in a very pure place. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. And I think any any further and we're going to start ruining some shit. Uh, all right. <laughs> so, so, uh, so let's do it. Let's all go to the lobby. So we just finished. Ken, you didn't tell me that this was a prequel to Magnolia. <laughs> Magnolia. I was thinking Eyes Wide Shut. Oh, a little, yeah. it's, all, it's, it's a trilogy. It's a shared universe yeah, yeah. Uh, where TJ Mackey becomes the guy. Then, in, Well, what order does Eyes Wide Shut fall then in? It would be the last one when he's disaffected in a, and in a dying marriage. Yep, that makes sense. That tracks. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but he's already got experience with the sex trade, right? So, <laughs> yeah, it, come, it comes full circle. It really does. Yeah, yeah, and especially if you like, you know, decide that they recast Rebecca De Mornay as Nicole Kidman in Eyes Wide Shut. Uh, they 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 reunite somehow. We don't need to know how. They just do. <laughs> uh, It'd be like the directed video Eyes Wide Shut to yeah, I dug it. Uh, wow. Uh, At some point, he stops off for a career in the Navy as a pilot. But yeah. yeah, I've got lots of uh, thoughts and opinions, but I'd love to open it up to, uh, to the other two that have not seen it yet. Um, yeah. I did not realize that the title was such a direct pun on what the movie was about. Exactly. I, uh, I thought it was just going to be like high school boys having a good time. Well, it kind of was. I mean, yes, uh, but with like just an undercurrent of sadness through the entire thing that fully does not get resolved. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, it's it's got this interesting style to it, too, where there were scenes that played out like something out of Twin Peaks or something, especially with the Tangerine Dream score going and the long track shots and stuff like that. I was not expecting that kind of style for an early teen comedy. Like, it's, well, here's there's the a lot more going on under the hood. I can only imagine knowing who like auditioned for the part at this point in their career. Like the list I saw was it's like obviously Cruz, he got it. 
but it was John Cusack, Nick Cage, Michael J. Fox, Tom Hanks, Sean Penn. And Sean Penn, we're talking about like, not like modern day Sean Penn. We're talking about Spigoli, Sean uh, Penn. Yeah. You know, so it's like, this had to have been more of a comedy script. And then with the, the casting of Hanks and probably just seeing how he was going to play it, like it probably shifted into more of a drama as it went. You know, like you just think there's some lines yeah. in there that are like that. There's that great line about when he's like, hey, some of the girls are wearing my mom's clothes. And she's like, so what? And he's like, yeah. so I, want, I don't want to spend my life in analysis. Like picture Tom Hanks delivering that line, you know? Yeah, in a jokey Tom, kind of, yeah. No, he, still, he, reads, he reads it flat, but it's just instantly funnier. You know what I mean? Where, where Tom yeah. Cruise doesn't quite sell it. I mean, Tom Cruise has done some comedy over the years and it works, but it's not his forte to sell just like throw a line like that away and it's instantly funny the way someone like Tom Tom Hanks could do or, you know, John Cusack doing that line would work. But you're forgetting, Jeremy, that um, Tom Hanks at that time um, was not really a comic actor yet. He right. was... Um, sure. He was doing and, television television movies and dramatic roles um, uh, at the start of his career. This was, this was just uh, before Bosom Buddies. Well, he he was. I think Bosom Buddies was around this time, but in 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 film, he was still doing serious stuff. Yeah, but in something and, like this, uh, I think he would have anyway. He would have brought more of that to it. Either either way, he would have given yeah. a better line reading to stuff like that. You know what I mean? It just well, I think mm-hmm. the point that I'm making. The, the point that I'm making is I don't think this was ever a comedy. Okay. Like, I, I think this was, I think this makes uh, Breakfast Club look like a night at the opera. You know, it's like, this really was um, a very dramatic movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Um, the, the filmmaker only made one other feature and they made a short in 2012. So, I mean, and, and even as a writer, they did more writing, but not that much more. You know, they did the the uh, Bear New B- News Bears sequel just before this, and then this is kind of like their big movie, and like and, a Joan Cusack movie, right? Um, yeah, and Mendo Leave, I think. Yeah, that was the other movie they directed. So, you, can you uh, said that this was like a big hit, massive hit? This was like so, the number three movie of the year, I believe. So how did Jesus. his career not explode as a filmmaker? Great question. Um, I wonder if he just didn't have another have it in him or if he maybe, yeah, he, was a, well, maybe he was a terrible Paul human Brickman being. was he was a writer mostly right so i think um but I even think that he, he doesn't have a ton of credits like, he doesn't have a ton of credits no that's very true um but he's got about um he's got about uh six writing credits and uh um and three directing credits and one of them is a short film maybe he just, he just didn't away. have a very long career but it is weird because this was a massive, massive uh, uh, hit. Maybe he it's just made just that, that that risky business bank and went, "I'm retiring. Fuck it." <laughs> maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe invest, invested well. And was like it's not not worth it. More likely, he made um, because his next movie that he directed was um, seven years later, and it was a flop. Yeah. So um, you know this, you know, for whatever reason, one um, hit wonder in a way. Yeah. 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 Hmm. Uh, Ian. And kind of this defied, like, I'm not, I'm not convinced this ever should have been a hit um, because it's a, it, I mean, I actually quite like it. I love, um, I love some of the performances. I love seeing uh, Curtis Armstrong. I think he's terrific in it. Bronson Pinchot was a lot of fun. Yeah. I love Bronson yeah. Pinchot. Yeah. Uh, sure. Um, Balky also, I mean, also the most, the best part of True Romance is Bronson Pinchot. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. The, and the and you know, explosions. 
early Joe Pantaleone yep. is like just a joy to watch. And um, Rebecca DeMornay is great. And um, uh, Richard Mazur is fantastic. Like it's just a, it's a nonstop a great cast. Great actors. Mm. Yeah. Ian, what did you think? It's, I agree with Ken. I don't know how, I don't know how or why this was a hit. Because it, it just feels like a movie that's trying to not be itself at every turn. Oh, unpack like it that. feels like. Pardon? Unpack that more. I want to know what more you mean by that. <laughs> it it feels like ninety percent of the movie is telling me a story that's like, here's this kid who's obsessed with getting to college and that kind of success, but it's a false goal, and along the way, he's going to learn more about himself, and he's going to find a new path, and in the end, is like, nope, he gets into Princeton by a fluke and he's going to continue on that path for the rest of his life. Uh, that know. tracks. That, that, that's so many <laughs> successful people. But he's going to have know, but, that, but again, that's why I keep coming back awesome. to like the movie, the movie has a real undercurrent of sadness mm-hmm. for me. It's like, it's like Tom Cruise is just about to have an epiphany and change his life and then doesn't have to, and doesn't and still hates his parents and they clearly hate him. Yeah, I, I didn't know what to make of that. I don't know. I mean, I would argue that it's like, you know, the, the catalyst in the film is, is um, uh, oh, God, um, our, our buddy, our boner, uh, a booger boner. <laughs> uh, Curtis Armstrong. <laughs> Curtis Armstrong Curtis character, Armstrong, yeah. like, you know, delivers the theme of the movie where it's like sometimes you just got to say, fuck it. And he kind of does. Fuck? Like, he, he does. What the fuck? Yeah. He. Come on, you're splitting hairs, Ken. Yeah, we got to get that line right. It's that's true. a classic, it's, classic line. It's true. That's uh, like, uh, but you, you know, know that's, that's from the ages. What <laughs> the fuck, right? And so he does that with the Princeton guy. He's like, you know what? Like, what the fuck? Like, so in in one way, he's just like, you know what? I'm not going to pretend to be, you know, something I'm not to impress this guy. And he's like, and he and he walks away from it. And that's what. <laughs> and that's kind. Of, I mean, that's not what gets it. What gets it is the guy, like, you know. Get some strange after he leaves the room and doesn't want him to find yes. out. But he also just embraces the fact that it's like, you know what? I'm not going to live by their rules. I'm just going to be myself. And so in that way, he kind of rewards it. He also loses all the money. He has to like rake leaves for the rest of his life to pay for that stupid egg, mm-hmm. um, which was never going to break being that thick of crystal and landing on grass. Those stakes were sad. For that that yes. whole jump move. Oh, that was a great. I I do love that uh, like running jump he takes, like you know mm-hmm. jumping across the <laughs> piano that, and, that they and stole that from. Uh, yeah, exactly. And then Fer- Ferris Bueller's Day Off totally stole that whole sequence for their ending. Did you see I'm the sure wide shot? There's like two, two dogs on him and uh, and kids watching and stuff that they never established otherwise. <laughs> Just in the <laughs> wide shot, there's two dogs licking his face. Now, where were those well, kids? I'm sure that yeah. I'm sure I that like the dive kids. was the birth of Tom Cruise insisting on doing all of his own insane stunts. Yeah, that's <laughs> probably it. They I got to catch that crystal myself. Music under it. <laughs> like, no, we, we have a stunt guy. We could do it with him. He's like, no, it has to be me. He I, don't really understand, I don't even really understand why that woman threw that egg. Like, I mean, that just seemed mean. That's, <laughs> that's why. No that's, reason to. That's why she threw it, because she's mean. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. I like to think Tom Cruise also did the stunt where the Porsche fell into the water. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, you mentioned Ferris Bueller's Day Off a second ago, and halfway through this movie, it, to, it hit me that it is the sad Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Mm-hmm. It's like this guy who... The race is on. 
You know, the car gets destroyed. Young guy. Dad, dad's car. Yeah. There's a lot of parallels. Exactly. You know, he, he t- decides to like live a little for a bit and like do something and take the car, and it all goes terribly. <laughs> Ferris yeah. also doesn't Actually, learn. Actually, is very reminiscent of uh, of Weird Science as well. Weirdly, mm. Um, mm. it's mm. the same ending of like rushing to clean up the house. Weird you know, science. Like it's, yeah. it's almost a genre unto itself. Do you get the sense that it's uh, it, it's it's also kind of about pressure to be perfect in high school and and just uh, you know when he's trying to recruit Johns for this new business he's built up, right? He goes out and he says, you, you know, you got to be experienced. These women have experience. He's he's playing on the idea that they're they they feel less than you know, man, men or something like that, right? And the entire movie seems to be his pursuit of, of, of that kind of thing. Of him trying to like, well, even when he's trying to work up the um, the the nerve to call an escort like to to his house and stuff like that, he's like frantically scribbling over all the different escort ads, and it's almost like sexual repression. It's almost like he wants to do this, but at the same time, uh, it's almost like he's pressured to because he's got to grow up and he's got to get in and like what the fuck it right, um, and he's almost resisting that whole thing. So I found that kind of interesting. Yeah. I have a hard time buying that. First of all, the the night that she comes over and the way it's all done, like their first night together, I was convinced that was another one of his dreams. Like just the way it was playing out <laughs> with the door busting in and the wind and the way she acted, and like, and then you know you, you find out that's, well, that's her, his perception but it's like, of the night though. Like oh, it's through his it's his perception of what's going on. Like, See that I didn't catch him. I didn't catch that because they don't really lead. I don't know where, where do you, where do you pick that up from? Cause as, as an audience, the way, it, it's a heightened, the heightened fantastical camera work and the slow push in with the door blowing open and the wind blowing. Oh, open. of course. It's such a romanticized kind of expression of making love that it's, it's, it's all in his head. You know, it's probably awkward as fuck for real. But that's, but him, that's just it. I, I want to, I mean, that's me though. I made a movie called how to plan an origin in a small town. I'm like, I don't buy for a second. I don't even know if this guy's a virgin or not. It feels like the movie's trying to tell me he is. And I don't even know how old he is. If there's, <laughs> if there's any chance that this is this guy's first encounter, there's no way it goes like that. Uh, it, first of all, it's over in 30 seconds with a woman like that who's that experienced and looks like that at his age. There's no way. Uh, before I forget, mm-hmm. there is another fun, fun parallel to Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Uh, around the corner from the house is where Cameron's dad's house is in real life, where they shot it. Oh, cool. <laughs> nice. That was one fun fact that I knew. Uh, anyway, That's back, awesome. Back, back to our regularly scheduled conversation. The glass garage. Well, that's right, because this was all uh, Chicago suburbs, right? They didn't really say what city it took place in, did they? I could have sworn yeah, at they, some point. in Chicago because the, Chicago, yeah. the S&M uh, place that uh, mm-hmm. he was pitching at the beginning was Chicago's best. They, oh yeah, they must have had crazy tax credits in the early '80s because like everything took place in Chicago. I really hope that that S and M dungeon, everyone just has the thickest Midwestern accents. <laughs> like, yeah, hey, come on in, and we'll start to spank you. <laughs> Fargo version. See, now we're in. This is the one. I this is what I want to see. This is this is. We my got a special with some deep dish cheese afterwards. <laughs> That's like the hard bodies version of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, it's interesting. Like I look, so let's get into, I mean, as, as you know, a four white cis male men, uh, yeah, that's you know, problematic. Sure. well, yeah, I mean, let's <laughs> talk about it. It's a, here's the thing. It's 1983. It's like, I'm just saying I've seen way more problematic movies. Like, I don't want to sure. say it's not without its problems. 
you know, there is a trans character in there, but it's not necessarily played as the butt of the joke. Like, if they make no. a joke about it, the, the character makes the joke themselves, calling them, like, the RCA compared to a Sony, uh, which, you know, sure. But it's, like, compared to how a lot of other movies would treat that character in that situation, they kind of treat the character as a human being, which... Yeah, I found that pretty pretty refreshing, actually. As soon as that character showed up, I was like, oh, shit, this is not going to go over well. But I thought, like, it was handled really, like, for what for the time being, I, I thought it was handled pretty well. You know, and that's all, but that's from my point of view. So it's hard for me to like have a real. Well, I guess, you know, like you're right. Um, but it does, you know, it it is about, uh, um, a group of high school students who turn their home into a a den of prostitution in order to get the money to, you know, pay for some stuff that doesn't need to be paid for really, because they're all rich. Yeah. I I love the scenes where Rebecca de Mornay is just like, yeah, so my home life is extremely bleak and I don't really like to talk about it and I think that you're judging me and I clearly have a lot going on under the surface. But that's a bummer. Let's get your dad's car fixed so you don't get grounded. <laughs> yeah, they never revisit that stuff, do they? Never, ever. It's just wiped yeah. away immediately. No, well, I don't she, know. That, that kind of gives her agency, though, because she's so removed from the whole situation and she's sort of playing him the whole time, too, to some mm-hmm. degree. So it's almost like she's keeping that shit to herself because he's kind of a mark for a lot of the movie. True. Yeah, I mean that's all fair. You can, yeah, that's that's a, a very nice way of of saying she has character development that the film chooses not to show us. Yes, you know, but there's also it's but, also you know, her character is given you know she's given stuff to do in this movie. She's like she's kind of a partner with him. She's not just mm-hmm. the girl, the the fa- the object of fantasy. She plays in that. She's like, I'll be your girlfriend. Like she's playing a role and letting him know that she's participating of her own kind of free will. So I don't know. I was kind of surprised that it wasn't as problematic as I was sort of expecting it to be mm-hmm. knowing the premise. Also knowing the premise, Ooh. I was expecting like the setup way faster and all that kind of stuff to kick in. Uh, yeah. But mm-hmm. you know, the way it rolls out, I think is, is better. Yeah. I mean, you're right. I mean, it, it, it does have, it, it is a little less problematic than, than, uh, you know, maybe some of the other eighties uh, movies, but, um, you know, like all eighties teen sex comedies, you know, that they were, they delivered exactly what they were trying to deliver. And oh. that was, um, you know, uh, a, a comedy that teen, teen boys and adult men are going to want to go see. Oh, this movie is not without its, its, um, you know, unnecessary nudity, you know, even right down to the last time we see Rebecca Dormorne in that top, like she's clearly not wearing any <laughs> undergarments. You know, it's at very, least she's not a child, you know, like that's the one thing that this yeah. movie kind of gets right is that, you know, the nudity is age appropriate. That's fair. In, yeah. in that way. Although, you know, I guess depending on how old Tom Cruise is and how old his buddies are, I guess there might be, be some pedophilia issues, you know, with these with these women. Sure. I mean, I buy that they're all like 18. They're all of eight. They're all like 18. Going, they're, I mean, they're in high school. They're, they're going to college next year, too. They're I mean, right. they're all, so eight, they're they're like all 18 going on 30, 18. considering who the actors look like. Yeah, well, of course. Curtis, of course. Curtis Armstrong is 28 when he makes this movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> I was reading. He's uh, great. He's smoking so, a pipe. I love it when he smoking <laughs> a pipe. Yeah. He, he's like, I, but the best part is, right, as he says it, he's like, I don't need to pay for it. And then he pulls the pipe out. <laughs> pulls the pipe out. He's like, of course you. That's his mic drop. It's amazing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I love that. For, for to make Tom Cruise have that like 
because he looks like he's a t- high school guy. Like they, they kind of did it well. And I guess what the producers did was they made him work out like crazy seven days a week and lose 10 pounds and then eat nothing but fatty foods to gain a layer of baby fat on top of it to give wow. him that light. And it, and it worked. Huh. I, you know, I'm yeah, not. He looks I, young. They all look young. Weird. Yeah. Well, the rest of them are just not, you know, they're regular human <laughs> beings, not in great shape. The other guy was Tom Cruise. They, they had make yeah. look like he was, um, you know, baby faced. But uh, I mean, yeah. I'm, not, I'm, I, I would never make an actor do something like that unless they wanted <laughs> to, and then they brought it up. But uh, what uh, I mean, but this is back in the days when people just did not give a shit about other human beings for to make movies. So, so you just do that to your body. <laughs> it is, you know, it is kind of like the pretty woman version of prostitution, though, right? Like it's mm. like, um, oh yeah, there's it's just this glorified, you know, like oh, no real stakes to it. And at the end, like I, the the movie posits that they're gonna continue a relationship which yeah. is, you know bad shit crazy and it and is it, a reshoot it is a reshoot yeah that's uh, really, ending, right there's like yeah a, yeah the the original ending was um a little bit darker a little bit bleaker and, what was and the original ending i mean it was very close to that but basically it was the idea that they were never going to see each other again that there was a transaction that she actually had played him the whole time wow um, I, I prefer and, that ending yeah mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the match. Um, but you know, that's a studio thing, right? Now we want this is like a, a laugher, not like a you know, and we want to make we want to pretend it's a comedy <laughs> at least in a, a romantic comedy or something. But um, yeah, because that's a, it is a pretty bleak, uh, a pretty bleak take on it. But that would have fixed that would have fixed Ian's note on it that it's like this guy didn't really have to like deal or learn anything at the end. Yeah, you know? that's the yeah. that for me is like without spoiling you know Matchstick Men for those who haven't seen it like that's the Matchstick Men ending which is one of my favorite movies that people don't that's talk great. about enough, that don't yeah. talk about enough. Uh, it's mm-hmm. such a great movie. It's interesting, but even like to, to to your point of like the glorified version of prostitution, it's even got like. You know, the pimp character, Joey Pants' character, is such, like, a non-threat, really. You know? He's generally Rascal. reasonable. <laughs> yeah, apparently they considered casting Frank Sinatra. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> but, then, but they were like, no, it's too dark. It's too serious at that point. And then you, yeah. then he's too much of a threat, you know? <laughs> Can you imagine? Wasn't he supposed to be the lead for Die Hard originally, too? Oh, Yeah. Oh, it's because yeah, yeah. he played John McClane in a previous yeah, yeah. movie. Technically, yeah, well, he owned the rights to the book. Um, yeah, that's right. Yeah, but um, but you have Joey Pants, and there's that, and the, and he's got that moment when they're calling on the phone after he realized he's ripped them off, and he's got that little honey bear. He's making tea. Um, yeah, he reminded me of the Philip Seymour Hoffman character in Punch Drunk Love, where he's just like yeah. you cut to him oh, and like getting his hair cut, and Adam Sandler pumps in and it's just like, oh, this he's so this is he's so pathetic. <laughs> Say that's that mattress man. Say that's that. <laughs> oh my god! I just want to see the Sinatra version where you're just waiting for him to rip Tom Cruise in half every that's time it. that they're face to face. Ring a ding ding, kid! Your lights out. Him just staring at Tom Cruise would make Tom Cruise at that point is like just piss his pants. Oh, for sure. If he's in your just foot- waiting for him to s- snap his fingers and send goons in the whole time. <laughs> yeah. But you know, but, I, I, that's what I kind of liked about Joy Pants is that I do think he was a threat. Like he was, he was like you know that uh, a coiled snake. You know, like he's mm-hmm. 
he was very like, you know, he's the kind of guy that just feels like he's going to be your buddy one second. And then he would like just snap and, and like murder you the next second. <laughs> and you saw a little bit of that when the girls were taunting him out the window and, and they say, oh, he's our new boss now. And you could, he kind of turned on Tom Cruise there and was like, oh, yeah, you know, oh, no, you it, never you don't mess with my business. No, I think no, he knows like, he's in control of the situation. At all yeah. Times, right. Like there's no there's no way Tom Cruise is going to get the best of him to his mind. Yeah. So it's like just school this kid instead of killing him, you know? Yeah. yeah. And I, but and, he, he didn't need to do that even. Like you said, he was in control that whole time. Like when he was just dismissive of him, he could have continued to be that dismissive of him because Tom Cruise <laughs> was nothing to him. But he took the time to give him that warning, you know, like uh, really kind of turned in that moment of like, here's now I'm going to teach you a little lesson, uh, you know, about what you don't do in life. So do you, and you think, can see the danger? Yeah. Do you think that they uh, they set she started to set him up the, when he first turned her down the Porsche went in that night she went back to her apartment that that's when she maybe called Joey Pants and was like, hey. And then and they set everything up in motion to, to screw him over if he ever called again. Um, it might have been earlier. It could have literally or been like, so. the next morning. You could argue that it's like she because she he made a comment was like, "Hey, the keys are in the car." She knew that when she slammed the door and let it roll down the hill. Like she she set that car in motion on purpose because he wasn't going to go along with her idea. Oh, yeah, man, I feel like you're that's right. Great. She already had. It would be really great to, again. The matchstick man version of this movie where you get a flashback and you see all these little things she did and how she set it all up just to to get them and all these things i, I these think i think yeah great i agree i think i think the whole thing was set up the moment she walked at the moment they got the call and it was from that neighborhood you know like these are these are people to take advantage of these people with all this money it's true um the next you know, morning she's like, like yeah. do you know how much this no. house is worth now that you describe all those cutaways, it makes me wonder if that was in the original cut of the movie and they took those out because it made her look like the worst. Would have been great. Would have been well, so even great. how she enters, right? She enters and it's very much right into, even though it's that sort of fantasized sort of version, she's not asking for money up front. There's no business discussed. It's just like right into let's fulfill this kid's fantasy. And I feel like mm. that that's the kind of play that you make if you're trying to please somebody initially. Like you become their best friend immediately. Or in this case, you know, a little more than that. But you know, well, it's a real good cop, bad cop too. If she sets up this encounter where he's going to see her pimp as this like raving lunatic that we never really see him do again, mm-hmm. and that like, yeah, I, I, I would love to see the version of the, this movie where it's that, just them pulling a con on him. Now that I think about it, that that's was happening the whole time, and I want that to be happening the whole time because it just adds more to her character. But it's true; mm-hmm. it's like she steals that egg to make him go after her, mm-hmm. so that he can find her. But how does she find her at that hotel? Uh, does Cruz find her? Because the movie wanted us to, her to him to <laughs> like. I don't think there's any clue she gives him that leads him to that hotel. I was wondering that same thing when I was watching it. I was like, oh, she must have left an address and I just missed it or something. No, I think, it, you know, it's either some connective tissue was cut or like they just decided it wasn't necessary. Yeah. But I, I like to think that, yeah, that, like Ken said, the moment that phone rang and she, and she heard what neighborhood it was, it was on. Yeah, yeah. I, I can accept that she did grow to like him at least enough to, you know, hmm. 
not obviously the better ending is is you know she was she was sleeping the whole time but even with the happiest sort of ending i could see her having some sort of you know kinship or warmth or whatever to to him i don't think it was completely a, a show i think there was some kind of uh i don't know a transfer of feelings there made a little fuzzy for her. i mean the best ending is both is that it's like she she set out to flee from the entire time and of course she kind of got really fond of him but at the end it's like it's it's the scorpion and the turtle you know it's like i'm a fucking mm. scorpion like i was never gonna <laughs> like i was never gonna let you ride across this river you know <laughs> Uh, and I think that would have been the best ending where it's like, you see that she did kind of like fall for him, his charms, but she still can't help herself. And she had to stick to the plan because that was the plan. And, and that's the real, the best ending anyway. Cause it's like in a movie like this, it's about character growth. It's like, he's not supposed to walk away with like a wad of money and everything in his pocket. He's got to like, it's about learning tough, you know, tough lessons. And, and yeah, he's, he's going mean, to be fine. Absolutely. It's a break-even yeah. movie, right? Like, you know, as a lot of 80s comedies are, it, it, you can't get ahead, but you always kind of come out okay. That's that's kind of like um, the theme of the entire decade. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's like you're going to make the big payoff, but you're going to lose it, you mm-hmm. know, in Act 3. But it's going to be, it's going to work itself out. And well, you're going to learn the fun. lesson. Like, the reward is the lesson, hopefully. But, like, the problem with this one is kind of the lesson. Is there is no lesson. There was never was a lesson. It's There's a bunch of stuff that happens. He learns to because, say what the fuck. Even, That's the lesson. Even if like the worst, the absolute worst happens and, and Joey Pants took everything in the house and the egg is gone and the car's in the, in the drink. So what? They're rich. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah he's just going to have to rake. Just, he's just going to have to rake leaves longer. <laughs> Just rig a little more leaves. Yeah, exactly. So it's like yeah. there's never any stakes, really. Oh, I can definitely wor- see a cheesier version of this movie, too. Like a more 80s studio version where the house gets cleaned out maybe a little earlier. He goes to Rebecca de Mornay. She has a change of heart and then says, we're going to get your stuff back. And that they like team up and. Oh, that's the bad. Run a car wash and buy a bunch of new stuff. Oh, I just meant like they trick Joey pants or they get one up (laughs) on him and like they get the stuff back. Like Mm -hmm. that's kind of what I was expecting in this movie. I didn't expect it to be so gray. Yeah. I would have loved a movie where we just stayed with the guys, where we just stayed with his friends. I would have loved more Bronson Pinchot. I would have loved more uh, Curtis Armstrong. The, the two other friends whose names I don't know were really fun too. Like Bronson Pinchot has that great throwaway line when they're putting like this stuff back in the cupboard. And he's like, you can't miss mix dynasties. And he like <laughs> changes change the order of the, the teacups or something, whatever's inside there. Yeah. Did anyone notice uh, the poker game at the beginning, the cigar that Bronson Pinchot was using was chewed to hell. Like he does yeah. not know how to chew a cigar. Well, well he I think, it's, I think they were just the shooting cigar. him for a long time and he had the one prop. So it, it fell apart in his mouth as he, as they were shooting. So that was uh, that was the first scene that they shot, and yeah. it was all and it was um, improvised. Mm. Oh wow! Um, and uh, Curtis Longstrunk said that by the time they finished, it took them all night, and by the time they finished, they were all so sick from smoking cigars all night because none of them were really cigar smokers. And he said it was just like they all they were all throwing up by the end of the night because anyone that's why the cigar was so chewed. Just because he didn't want to keep relighting a new one for continuity, so he just kept the same fucking yeah. cigar. Oh. And, and anyone smoking a cigar all night, whether you, whether you're like 
cultured in it or not, is, is going to get sick from smoking a cigar all night, I would think. <laughs> well, if you watch how Bronson Pinchot holds it in his mouth, it's like halfway in there. It's like, oh, it's, it's, so, just, it's like it's way so too gross. far in his mouth. <laughs> it's yeah. so gross. And um, probably because the end was so chewed that he had to put it in further to get past that point just to hold it there. Yeah. I, I, I had a thought and I forgot until it triggered when we were talking about like the comedy version of this. There was a 90s movie that I, I really enjoyed. It introduced Paul Dano and Emil, not, and it didn't introduce Emil Hirsch, but he was one of his early bigger roles. Uh, the Girl Next Door. It was like a 90s oh, yeah, comedy. Yeah, 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 with uh, Nicole Eggert. Nicole Eggert, no, sorry. No, no, no. Uh, Elijah Duke? Or no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, Elijah um, Duke, that's it. Is it like, no, Eliza, no, Eliza, 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 Alicia Cooper, Alicia Cooper. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and just in, in, in terms of the, the Joey Pants character in this movie, like there's, you know, that's a bit of a trope of that. Like the, the, well, this, Timothy Oliphant in that one, right? Timothy Oliphant is like yeah. that, that character yeah. and it is oh, wow. kind of more enjoyable. He's so good. He plays like yeah. such that, and he's like the ultimate version of that. Hey, I'm your best friend, but I'll fucking murder you. Oh, yeah. he plays a very similar character in Go. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Two great 90 movies, yeah. yeah he's yeah, like a drug a, dealer and like the romantic interest for Katie Holmes, and he's so charming, and then at the same time, he's genuinely terrifying. Yeah, yeah but he, he kind of pushes the terrifying even further, in, in, but it's still a comedy, and, and, but he's great in it. He's so... Yeah, he is. He's terrific. At turning, because he does it within seconds, you know, and then he has that, that ability to like go from like buddy... To terrifying in two seconds. <laughs> yeah, kind of like right. Adrian Brody in that movie High School. Did anybody see that one from like no years ago? Oh, dude, you got to see High School. It's uh, use it on one of your. Basically, he's a complete burnout psychotic pot dealer uh, in high school with long dreadlocks, and uh, the movie's fucked. You, you should watch it. It's good. What? Well, I don't think old? I've even heard of it. It's called High School. That's the name of the movie. Oh. We played it at Toronto After Dark. Well, it was before I started working there, but. They played it at Toronto After Dark. Oh, okay. Yeah. I will. I will seek it out. That sounds great. Um, yeah. I. 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 I kind of was. Yeah. I. I was expecting this to be. Yeah. I don't know what I was expecting. I think I was expecting it to be. To attempt to be more of a comedy, but with Tom Cruise, I was curious how that was going to be. Just again, he's not like the most comedic performer. He's done comedic. I mean, Tropic Thunder. Yeah, but that's it's pretty I mean, fucking funny. The I was I was literally yeah. just having this conversation with my friend, and, and his argument was that it's like yeah, it's funny. He's funny because he's Tom Cruise in that role. Mm. I would argue that it's like mm. that doesn't necessarily automatically make it funny. He's still bringing something to it that's interesting. But in terms of like you know comedic Tom Cruise performances, you know you got to think of like his stuff with Cameron Crowe is is probably as close as you really get. To yeah, Vanilla Sky was a laugh riot. <laughs> well, not. <laughs> Anyway, you know what I mean. Even Jerry Maguire is like so dramatic. Oh, God. (laughs) But that's as close as he gets to a rom-com. You know what I mean? I think in terms of like what he does, Mm -hmm. you know? I think he vibrates on this sort of weird plane of intensity that I feel like he's even got in this movie where I'm like, you're you're seeing this all different from everybody else. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's just it. Even like I would argue, like one of his most comedic roles, uh, in terms of like what he's doing and 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 where he goes is like Magnolia. Yeah, I think like when yeah. Magnolia comes out and you see him in that part, you're laughing more just because it's like, what the fuck is this? You know, mm-hmm. it comes out of left field, uh, and not that that's a comedy, of course, obviously, 
but it's there's something interesting with that rule. Like he's just not. I'm trying to think if there's anything else. But I don't think he. Does, I don't think so. He's not a very. No, I, I think there's stuff in Rain Man that's probably pretty pretty funny. You know, uh, there when that when the movie goes there, I think it it, it can work really mm-hmm. really well. But that's more Hoffman than him. He's still playing the straight man in that movie, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh God, I wonder how well Brain Man ages. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's kind of tough. I mean, any movie now with the guys of now and knowing that it's like some there's an actor playing something that's very not them in terms of disorders mm-hmm. or whatnot. It's like it's just automatically, you know, problematic. But you know that those are you know back in the day those were what well, the those the awards that roles that won you awards. You know. Mm-hmm. You know what he's pretty funny in is American Made. It's not like a fantastic film, but oh. his character is his character is pretty funny. Like sure, he's, he's got very, he's got like a decent amount of uh, irreverence for the whole situation around him. No, he plays like a guy that's way in over his head. You know, yeah. Uh, yeah. that movie works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, you know, I think I think ultimately he has a good sense of humor. He's just yep. not a comic actor. I mean, he played, I mean, he played gold, he played, uh, Austin Powers, you know, like for, <laughs> so, you know, he's got, he does, I think he likes to have fun. He also played a, um, comedic version of Ethan Hunt in, um, in that movie with Cameron Diaz, um, Night and Day, I think it's called. Oh yeah, that's, oh. um, and it's, it's kind of fun. Like he, I think he's okay, but he's just not funny. Yeah. He's just, you know, like yeah. he, he, he couldn't do you know, um, he's not Will Ferrell. He's not going to do like a role like something in. No, uh, no, no, no. And you wouldn't that. want to. And you wouldn't want to see that. But I think you're right. It's mm-hmm. like what he does well is like he when he like ups the charm and mm-hmm. takes away the intensity. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's super enjoyable. Uh, yeah. And so what you get is like light comedy, light comedy from him at best. But it works. You know, he when he's I mean maybe interview with the vampire is his funniest role. <laughs> I love him in that movie. Yeah, like that good. that was one of my he favorite movies right. when I was younger. He's great in that movie. He is camping it up a billion percent and it is pretty he, enjoyable. I love him in that movie. It's, it's I think again, everyone's camping it up in that film though. That Neil Jordan angle of, of everything's like a heightened, uh mm-hmm. completely balls to the wall kind of approach is uh yeah. Yeah, it fits that one. Even I mean, he puts Harris himself out there. You know, like, like he really does. It works, but that's still like my favorite, like Kirsten Dunst performance. Like yeah. she's great I mean, in that what, movie. Is she five? She is tremendous. <laughs> I don't know, but she's great. But it's like she's not doing she that weird sleepy stoned thing that she yeah. like, does in so many mm-hmm. movies. You know, mm-hmm. uh, it's like she play, like she's got like she's crazy good in that movie. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, I don't that, know if she's played a performance that's demanded that much of her since, really. Yeah. She was really tremendous in season two of Fargo. Oh, oh that's yeah, she's fair. Really she's in Fargo, great in yeah. Fargo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. But again, absolutely. the movie asks her to do something. Like, she's <laughs> awesome, just kind of gets dropped into a role. Like, Bit of an outlier, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, like in, in Sp- the Spider-Man movie, she's just the yeah. girlfriend. You know, she yeah. doesn't have anything to do. And I'm sorry to say, like, everyone I know loves those movies. She has zero chemistry with Tobey Maguire. Well, I mean, there's a lot of behind-the-scenes stories about why people didn't have chemistry with Tobey Maguire. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, there's a lot. Uh, But I I do really, really like those Spider-Man movies. I think 
the movie that movie well, trafficked- I got a lot of affection for them too yeah I think that movie trafficked in that upside down kiss that was the thing which <laughs> I'm sure was the least sexy romantic thing to do like <laughs> well, held upside down, in a harness and like <laughs> held upside down pouring down rain like how yeah. much did that day suck for those actors oh god <laughs> Hey, was anyone here like a latchkey kid a bit growing up? Because the TV dinner scenes in Risky Business really kind of triggered. Something. Oh yeah, oh, I knew yeah. how to. Yeah, except that you knew how to use a goddamn microwave or an oven. Oh well, yeah, I, mean, I wasn't, <laughs> I, I wasn't a rich latchkey kid, so I can you, right? Microwave. Yeah, <laughs> there's no way I would have used the oven for that. I would have used yeah, the microwave 100. Yeah, yeah. That, that was a that was a clear moment of like um, a false moment leading to a joke, which is yeah. like, you know, we want to make this joke. It doesn't make any sense how we get to this joke. That was him eating it like a popsicle, right? But why would he put that? Why would he look surprised by the fact that it was frozen when he is the one who put it there? Yeah, that's just it. It's like this (laughs) just makes no sense. Well, again, and that's where that's one of those things where I'm like, was the script trying to be funnier? Like, were they just looking at the other people they auditioned for, right, and knowing like their range of roles? You know, they were definitely looking at actors that had more comic chops than Tom Cruise. And then they ended up going with him. But then they kept stuff like that in the movie. Which yeah. followed directly after the comedy montage of him doing the dancing. And the yeah. So, you know, like, here's the thing about 80s movies, though, um, I will say, is that um, there, were, there, was this weird, um, there was this weird structure to them where they were always a comedy in Act One. And then they became dramatic and became dramas for the rest of the movie and act two and three, and they were all sold as comedies. And it was very widespread. I would say like 80% of the comedies from the 80s are well, not a lot really of the John comedies. Hughes for sure. Most of the John Hughes. But even movies. like, you know, like Dudley Moore movies and Steve Martin movies and John Candy movies. Like if you watch um, Summer Rental, John Candy's first movie, it yeah. starts off like really it's super funny. And then like by act two, he's in this yacht competition and it's dramatic. Like it's like it stop. It just at a point they stop trying to be funny in eighties comedies. Hmm. It's really well, it's always, I guess stripes turns dramatic toward the end too. Well, oh, and I will say there's exceptions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so, that's I most, will say there are exceptions. I would say any. Um, I would argue any good comedy in any era does that. I mean, you've got no, to. But I otherwise, mean, like, I mean, way straight drama. Like sure, you know, they, it's like remember when we used to be funny, like. That's a, that was a, a whole movie ago. Like, but then they gets, have ones that dance. Like, you look at something like The Great Outdoors, and it definitely gets like more serious when the families are fighting. That's but 1990, they, though. It's still, but it's, it's on the heels. <laughs> it's on the heels like 80, of the 80s, 80s right? Sure, but yeah. it's in the yeah, heels yeah. of it, and they they yeah. keep the comedy thread the whole way, right? Oh yeah, of course. Um, but I mean, like the Burt Reynolds and Goldie Hawn movies, like you know, all sold as comedies, not comedies. Yeah, uh, Overboard. Um. Yeah, Overboard tries to be a comedy, but it's again like then it becomes that, a that might be to do with the, like, like uh, selling because the scripts over genres though. Instead of trying to fit yeah. something into a box, it's like we've got this great script. It's a wonderful script. Let's set this up at Warner or whatever and make it. And it just happens to be what it is. So you know, in the last twenty years, a comedy movie like you would never have. You would never have. They would never have been able to make something like Anchorman in the eighties. You know, like the, a oh. comedy from start to finish. It just didn't well, make that back. The Zucker then. films, the the you know the the like yeah, the there, are, there are one hundred percent exceptions. One hundred percent exceptions. Um, you know the uh, um, 
uh, Caddyshack and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, those kind of movies. Well, Absolutely. Uh, National Lampoon's Vacation. Funny all, down all the way through. Into a comedy but movie. Mostly, most relationship drama movies or most relationship comedies, like, um, eventually just stop being comedies. And I only say it because um, they kind of follow the pattern of, of this movie, which, yeah. as, as you saw, like, eventually just stops trying to be a comedy. Mm. Interesting. Sometimes that they can't make well, it's a dark but... comedy though, to at least like when Joey Pants is selling his shit back to him, that's darkly funny. <laughs> sure, but I don't but you know the, the I don't I can't see the theater in up an uproar like having a yeah. great time, like you know, like mm-hmm. it, it would be probably pretty silent in that theater. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, throughout mm-hmm. No, you're throughout more like the, the packed the packed theater too, apparently. Yeah, you're more like smiling and being like, that's funny. You know, you're not like yeah. laughing at that. <laughs> but I would argue, like, I don't think there was a moment in this movie where I was sitting there going, oh, fuck, like laughing my laughing that hard. You know, it was kind of like a, a nice, a, amused smile throughout. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was one part that I laughed pretty hard, and I can't remember what it is now. Yeah, there's a couple of good laughs. Oh, you, I, mean, it, I, no. I laugh when he pulls that pipe out. I, every yeah. time I watch the movie, I laugh at that. Like, it's just so, it's so, so crazy no it was the mother's clothing thing that was the part that made me laugh oh yeah, yeah. great that's a great line yeah <laughs> and then all you could think of is like someone else could have landed this line a lot uh, i don't know i feel like tom cruise had like uh there was a sadness it works it. like mm-hmm. he actually believes he'd be fucked by that as opposed to like that's true no you're right you're right it doesn't not work because it's cruise i was just like I, I think I was just looking up all the other actors that were up for the part at yeah. that point. And I'm like, I can see ah. Hanks doing it serious, but in a sarcastic way, like, oh, I might be you know, messed up in the future. <laughs> he doesn't really mean it. And it feel like Tom Cruise's character is saying in a way, like, I might actually need therapy if I walk around watching these these people in my mom's clothes. I feel like yeah. there's a, that. Sure. There, I mean, that's I mean if you think- watch a, you know, Tom Hanks is able to do like, uh, um, I mean, if you look at Big, I would say that big is a pretty dramatic role too. Like it, it, it kind of stops being funny too. Like that, after I was actually thinking of that as an store. example of the thing you were talking about. Yeah. Big is yeah, so it's, good. after the toy store, it gets pretty dramatic. Yeah. It takes itself real serious. Yeah. yeah. It's great though. It's uh and he's great. And he's great. Right. He, he brings a lightness to it that allows them to market it as a comedy and people can leave saying, Oh yeah, it was a comedy. But really, if you like really break it down, like it gets it gets pretty uh, it gets pretty pretty down in the last uh, couple Joe of versus hours. the volcano. Does that stay funny throughout? I haven't seen it since I was a kid. I remember <laughs> well, like I, I wonder if it was so weird. Started funny. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I remember like I watching the trailer for that. I I'd have to revisit it because I remember just like our parents renting it and watching it and being like, "What the fuck is this?" <laughs> I love then, that movie. I've seen. I saw it three times in the theater, Jeremy. Wow! And it was. It was. You know. It was because I. I had never really experienced like just a cheap, lame comedy, that where the director put so much thought into like, um, each camera movement and each like there was some incredible shots in that movie. Incre- incredible shots. Like. The moon over the water with them and like you know on, on the luggage that's floating. Or like the light, you know, the lightning bolt symbology that's through the whole movie, including like the sidewalk that leads up to the company works at is in a light bolt shape, uh, a lightning bolt oh. shape. And I mean, there's so much symbolism in that movie. It's unbelievable. Um, but again, like not super funny. <laughs> 
1990s though, Ken. It's it's 1990s Joe 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 versus the volcano. Yeah, like well, just 90 or so. Yeah. It's like the beginning yeah. of the I night. think it's 1990 on the. Looking it up right now because I'm trying to figure out where I can watch. I got I got to rewatch that movie. <laughs> I, I actually quite like it. I, I I haven't seen it in years, but I love the, the the ballsy move of just casting Meg Ryan in three different roles for no reason. <laughs> it's like hilarious. It was like a thing though. That was like uh, you know Eddie Murphy was doing it all the time. It was a lot. Well, of yeah, Eddie Murphy. You know, and uh, it was kind of emulating Alec Guinness, and the same as Mike Myers, right? They just like mm-hmm. to play. Steve a ton Martin of characters in there. Some too. Oh mm-hmm. yeah, Alec Guinness. I forgot about him doing that in that other movie. He 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 was he did that in a couple. Yeah, he loved to play multiple roles. Mm-hmm. Uh, Peter and, Sellers too. Peter Sellers and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, in in a couple movies. So it's good times. Yeah. Uh, any uh, any final thoughts on risky business? Um, it was better than I expected. I, I mean, I didn't expect it to be a bad film. It's just it was so different than I was expecting. That mm. uh, I came out of it with a real respect for it, um, and and realizing like, oh wow, there's some real subtext, style, depth to this that I, I was just expecting a surface teen sex comedy, and I got a lot more out of it. So, uh, yeah, it was it was a good watch. Yeah, I, I liked it, but if I if I play the movie in my head through the version that Rebecca Dumoine is scamming him from the get go, I kind of love it. And I wish well, I, I think that is what happened. It's, yeah. just, it's got the happy ending tacked on and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. And they don't dwell too much on the, the reveal of the scam. Yeah. Well, even Cruz questions it throughout. There's, they're having that lunch about the end of the second act, and he, he bluntly asks her, was any of this real? And she's like, yeah. I mean, I'm paraphrasing the dialogue. but <laughs> um, I think that's but, the dialogue. I don't think you're, you're going to train that far from it. Yeah. Uh, Ian, what were your final thoughts? Kind of similar to what uh, what Justin just said. I thought like I was expecting a straight ahead teen sex farce or romp, and it clearly wasn't that. And I know I've been joking about the movie kind of being like conflicted all the way through. I do think what it's doing is interesting, and it's a better shot and better looking movie than I ever expected it to be. And an awesome score. Oh, amazing! Actually, really, really good. <laughs> Especially like off the top, I was it was like straight up like eerie tangerine dream music, and I was like, oh, okay. Let's do this. But uh, excellent yeah, use of that Phil Collins song, too, by the way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just rewatched the pilot of The Americans, too. So I'm like, wow, that's, that's boning music. <laughs> for, for me, I liked it. I, I definitely I, liked it. For me, I would say, um, you know, knowing a little bit of the backstory about how the studio wanted just a straight up teen sex comedy and the director wanted to do an art house movie. And and um, and the, and the clashes that they had over that, and how the film turns out, I th- I I actually really I really like it a lot, but I think I would have liked it if it went full art house better or full comedy better. And I find yeah. the hybrid to be a, a little confusing and 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 doesn't quite put it over the top. However, uh, thinking of it as the um, evolution of um, Curtis Armstrong's character. Um, in terms of, in terms of his three franchises, I, I guess only one's a franchise, but, um, the same way that you, um, um, uh, I can't remember who we were talking about earlier that, uh, that was, uh, um, Tim the uh, uh, no. no, we were, we were talking about how someone, uh, 
this was the first part of their trilogy or um oh this cruise. is cruise, cruise. The, the, it's like going to eyes wide shut and into uh, of course like, so i think i think uh i think curtis armstrong has the same uh genesis and it goes uh from this movie to better off dead um to revenge of the nerds and if you and if you um and uh watch them in that kind of respect I think it is a worthy opening chapter in the life of that of the character of Booger. And then the epilogue <laughs> is that he's the principal in New Girl. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's exactly. The, that's actually, the little goes full circle. Yeah, that's the swan song. He comes back around. Yeah. And yeah. Together. And he goes back to I high school. I also would recommend. Um, I would recommend the book that Curtis Armstrong wrote um, because he talks a lot about this movie because it was his first. Um, and he talks a lot about, uh, revenge of the nerds as well. And, uh, I can't remember the title. I, I own it. It's upstairs, but, um, it's worth seeking out and reading. Um, it's, he's an interesting guy. I bet. Cool. cool. All right. Well, thanks for that. Thanks for that nerdy, uh, tidbit into Curtis <laughs> literature. Not expecting that. He's one of, listen, he's one of the great eighties. Um, you know, oh. I, I wouldn't even call him a nerd, but he's one of the, the great eighties characters Who's the prototype for for many of the the characters that have followed? Please yeah. tell me the book's called Picking Luger. <laughs> it's not. It's not. <laughs> uh, it has nerd in it. I think it has nerd in the title. I think it's uh, no. I mean, you, you look I'll, at just like I'll have to uh, look it up. I think it's is it Judah Freelander is the name of the actor like him in, oh, yeah. in Red Oaks mm. that uh, like mm-hmm. he's kind of like a modern version of that. You also get like Jonah Hill, you know, when he started yeah. out was very mm-hmm. much like in that vein, right? It's like, it's that, that, that trope, that kind of like, you know, lovable, affable. This true best friend. Yeah. Yes. He's kind of a wise best friend. You know, they've, they've got, they've got the, the answers, you know, as well. But it's as always well. the best friend who is the catalyst for everything that follows. Right. They mm-hmm. are like, and, and it's the same in this. He's the one that forces him to call like the, and he takes it out of Tom Cruise's hands and forces it on him. And then has the gall to say, "Well, I wouldn't do that." <laughs> you could see it in his expression when he's in the car and they're driving away from Joey Pants, like knocking on the window or whatever. He's like, "Oh shit, I'm in over my head." Yeah, yeah. he's like, "Bail!" He's like, well, "You were the guy that like ten minutes ago was saying just say what the fuck." It's like, "Man, yeah. get out!" <laughs> shit just got real. Shit just got real. Well, thanks everyone for for checking this out with me and uh, and joining us tonight. Thank you. Very fine. Let's all go to the Thanks for joining us for Risky Business. Black Hole Films is a proud member of the That Shelf Podcast Network. You can listen to other episodes of our show and other That Shelf podcasts on thatshelf.com. Please subscribe, leave comments, spread the word, do all the things that let others know you like the show and how they can check it out. You can find me on Twitter at Lon Jeremy and go to Facebook and join the group Black Hole Films. And until next time, go watch something you've never seen before. Thanks. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat.